Well, praise the Lord. Uh, we'll uh, go ahead and get into the word of God. I'll ask, uh, before I open it up in prayer, I will ask you all who brought your Bibles to uh, turn to the uh, book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. That'll be what I will be uh, preaching from uh, this morning, uh, giving you the word of the Lord. Please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I simply and humbly just say thank you for how you've already ministered to us. Uh, Father God, you've blessed our hearts and the work that you have done in breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts to prepare us to receive your word. We, we thank you for it, Lord. Uh, for there are many challenges out there in the world that can affect and afflict our hearts and make us not have good soil for the seed of the word to be planted in and to uh, become fertile and bloom. And Lord, I trust that you've done that work and that the seed planted will be planted in the good soil that will bear much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Second Timothy uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> um, I will spend a number of weeks uh, preaching and teaching on uh, the convictions of our faith, core beliefs that include core beliefs that we have here at New Covenant Fellowship, and and uh, and not they're not just ours, but people who are followers of Christ, in any believer, any church. There are certain convictions that should belong to us all, and uh, um, you know I'll be going to Mexico in a couple of weeks. Uh, to join the woods, uh, Christy and I will be. So there will be a brief pause, then I'll be resuming the series on the convictions of our faith. And I'll start today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Some of you may have already surmised the first of the convictions of our faith that I'll cover today is all scripture is God-inspired. and trustworthy, all of it, not just what's in red, all scripture is God-inspired, not just your favorite passage, all scripture is God-inspired and trustworthy. And uh, before I start in verse 10, I'll be reading verses 10 to 17, just to give you a heads up. But the first nine verses of this chapter, Paul describes to young Timothy the rampant godlessness that will be present in the last days. That's something that is a cause for fear for a lot of us, right? We want tomorrow to be better than it is today. We want tomorrow to be better for the next generation than it is this generation. We want to set our loved ones up for success. And, and part of what drives that you know, we love them. We want to create a better future for them. But there's only so much that we can do. I know that isn't a hallelujah statement, but there's only so much that we can do. We can't control everything that goes on out there in the world, right? But we belong to one who holds everything in the palm of his hands, right? We, hold, we belong to the one who has all power. Are you hearing me? Right? Because Christ rose again, because Christ lives, I can face tomorrow without worry, without anxiety, without concern, without fear, because I know who holds my future. Right? And I want to encourage you with that today. He's telling young Timothy, the one who's going to be the next generation to carry the gospel on when he's going to be with the Lord. Hey, the circumstances you're going to be serving God in are not going to be great. Godlessness is going to be rampant. People are going to be lovers of themselves. People are going to love pleasure more than the love of God. People are going to be mean, rude, obstinate. They're not even going to be respectful of their parents. And not only that, 
you're going to have phonies in the flock. That's not a way to encourage a young fella who's about to take on that pastoral mantle. <laughs> uh, but, but it's being real with him to let him know this is the reality of your situation, but God supersedes it all. God will make you capable of accomplishing his will no matter what. And so... I don't want to I, I, I overdo the first nine verses, but it says there's going to be godlessness is going to abound, and there will be people who are, when it talks about the phonies, it looks and sounds like they are people of faith. They have the form of godliness, but denies power. They look like they are about propagating the kingdom but, and, and propagating the truth of God, but really they are opponents of God's truth. And that's a lot to worry about if we choose to put our attention and focus on those things rather than on the one whom we're supposed to be following. And so he says, all that's going on, but verse 10, you, however... Right? And I want you to substitute, he's talking to Timothy, but he's talking to us through Timothy. There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of bad stuff. There's a lot of junk going on. You, however, as followers of Christ, you, however, young man of God, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to have a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I hate, don't shoot the messenger. All who desire to live a godly life. How many? All. So we can spend a lifetime trying to avoid the inevitable, but it's if you're living a godly life, there's going to be some persecution that comes along with that. And I'm not saying we ought to sing a hallelujah chorus over it, but, but, but we better get our minds around it. And we better settle, settle the issue in our hearts that, that okay, God, Bring it on. Whatever I must endure for the cause of Christ, I say yes, I'm willing to endure it for the cause of Christ. Because, I, because living godly before God is a conviction. It's not a good idea. It's a conviction. But he says here, you know, that this passage outlines nine characteristics of a true servant of Christ Jesus. And in a society that we live in that has a lot of blatant godliness out there, people who are thumbing their noses in the face of God and are proud to do it, but also those who put on the Christ jersey but it's only an act. They're not really part of the team. It's hard to distinguish the truth from a lie a lot of times in this world. It's almost impossible in a lot of ways, and we wouldn't be able to do it if not for God and the Spirit of God leading us and the Word of God that divides truth from fiction. And I want to encourage you to spend some time in these passages so that you can see what I'm pointing out here today, the nine characteristics of a true servant of Jesus Christ that are outlined in these verses that Paul has written to Timothy. Notice, 
You, however, have followed my teaching. So one characteristic of a true servant of Christ is they will, what they share, they won't share anything that isn't sound biblical teaching, that isn't true doctrine. It's what they, it's what comes out of their mouth. It's what they hunger for and desire. It's what they want. They're not going to be caught by the new fad of the day. They're not going to have itching ears and gravitate towards something that feels good if it pulls them away from what we know to be true, orthodox word of God. We have technology now that allows access to millions of people through social media streams and the internet and, and podcasts and everything. It's so easy to gain influence today. And you and I can be among those that are easily influenced if we allow ourselves to be. But as the people of God, I would challenge you, don't allow yourself to be that easily influenced individual don't allow yourself to be influenced by some innate need that someone can play on and draw you into ungodliness because you haven't given that area of your life to God. Be a person like Timothy he is after sound biblical teaching. There's a reason he followed Paul. Paul was consistent in preaching the gospel of Christ Jesus. He did not water it down. He did not mix it with opinion. He spoke the unadulterated word of God. And Timothy was one of those young men that had an appetite for it and nothing else. You and I are to be those people in this day and in this time. Second, not only did he observe that, he said, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct. See, a characteristic of a true servant of Christ is they also practice what they preach. The word of God, they don't just say, oh, that was a good sermon. Oh, that was a nice word. No, the word of God for me, I take it. I meditate on it. I journal it. I go to God with it in prayer. I commit myself to become a doer of this word. Are you hearing me? Now, this is what Paul is modeling for Timothy, and this is what Timothy is pursuing for his own life. So he says, my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Another, another word for that could be my purpose in life. But my aim in life, what is my goal? What is my objective in life? Well, one thing uh, 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 Paul said, I remember a, uh, a passage of Paul where he said that he wants to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Forgetting those things that are behind him and pressing for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That was his aim. But one verse I want to share with you that I, I think also encapsulates his aim is Philippians 1. Uh, verses 19 to 21. And he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with all courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Here's his aim, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And Timothy had an up-close-and-personal seat observing Paul in the, in the doing of that. And I'll, I'll just kind of go through this a little bit quicker. Uh, it also says, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. I know people hate that word. But if you're going to be a leader of people, men, if you're going to be a leader of men, you're going to have to learn to be patient with people. You're going to have to learn the patience that only a mother knows a lot of times. Patience with people, whether they be of the faith or not. That is a, a character trait that is consistent with that of Christ and we represent him in this earth we're going to have to learn to be patient with others uh, my love the agape love that he has toward others my steadfastness uh, that could also be um, patience or endurance but rather than people it's the circumstances you have to endure you're steadfast you're not one to, to, to easily Pick up your tent and quit. You persevere. When things get hard, you keep on pressing in because you're walking by faith, not by sight. And then he says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. So he went through those, and then he says something very curious. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. That's not my definition of rescue is, Lord, you rescue me from not having to go through this stuff. You know, rescue for me is prevention. But for Paul... He wasn't concerned about prevention. He wasn't concerned about God avoiding or helping him avoid those things. He didn't care about them. If the persecutions came, they came. He was going to do what God called him to do regardless of it. And he was going to trust God in the middle of the persecutions to rescue him out of them in his own time. Right? And so, Timothy, you've observed all of this. You followed me. In other words, you followed closely. You've been alongside me. You've seen it. You've walked some of this out with me. You've observed it. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. You know, that, that passage that I, I shared with you uh, uh, earlier in Philippians, he alluded to that. The Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, it's a futile effort to try and put a stop to those things that the Bible says is going to go from bad to worse. Keep on, evil people and imposters are going to continue to keep keeping on, deceiving and being deceived themselves, while we will be subjected to persecution. And before I uh, finish up the last half of that verse and, and get to the word, I'm, I still want to preface the last part with getting to the word. 
Paul, I want to point out, Paul specifically names three places to Timothy where he suffered from a campaign of persecution. See, persecution isn't just something, persecution isn't just resistance. Persecution, just not accepting what you believe, trying to stop you from advancing uh, or stop you from uh, uh, pushing your beliefs on somebody is not persecution. Persecution follows after you. Persecution is a campaign. When Paul was a Pharisee, they followed the people of God wherever they went for the express purpose of persecuting them to try and stamp out the faith that they were trying to propagate. There were people in those places that uh, opposed them, that said mean things to them. That wasn't persecution. The persecution were those who tried to jail you, beat you, kill you, to try and stamp out completely the faith that you are trying to propagate, and uh, they will use anything, intimidation, threat. If you don't stop this, we will do whatever it takes to put a stop to what you're doing. That's persecution. And he names three specific places where he suffered the campaign of persecution. And one of those three places, Paul was stoned, I believe, to death, stoned to death for preaching the gospel and dragged outside the city. Disciples gathered around his body and prayed for him, and he stood up, dusted himself off, and went right back into the city to preach the gospel some more. Paul was a different dude. That place was Lystra. You know whose hometown that was, Lystra? Timothy's. Lystra, the hometown of Timothy, the young man to whom Paul has written this letter, is one of the places of persecution Paul mentions to young Timothy in the letter. And it makes me think of the, of the, of the history there. I think of Paul enduring that persecution. God didn't prevent him from being subjected to the persecution, but he delivered him from death as a result of the persecution. So God delivered him out of that persecution, made him, healed him, made him healthy enough for him to walk right back into the den that he just got persecuted out of the hometown of Timothy. And I can see Timothy as a little boy being amongst those uh, believers that are observing what's happening to Paul and being among the crowd that went outside the city where they left him and where they prayed for him and for him to be raised up and to go back in on fire for God to preach the gospel. I can see a young boy being inspired by that. I can see him there being, being his little hand in the hand of his mother, Eunice. Grandmother Lois on the other side. The two women influential in his life who raised him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I can see that being the inspiration for him to become a man of God. who can withstand that kind of persecution and stand strong in the truth of God's word and, 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 and be delivered out of persecution and, and not bat an eyelash to go right back out there and tell people who are going to hell the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I don't believe that Timothy becoming a disciple and follower of Paul was by accident. I believe 
it was a result of God's divine work in a, in a series of events that I believe caused little Timothy to look so look up to Paul he wanted to be like him. I think that moment may have inspired him. And that, I want to go back to Philippians 1.19 again. I know I wanted to highlight to live as Christ and to die as gain. But here is the mindset of Paul when he was in persecutions like that. He was in one of those when he wrote in Philippians, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with all courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Hallelujah. Let's go on to verse 14. Now, we started this off in verse 10 on the heels of him laying out this generation of godliness, this era of godliness that's going to predate the return of Christ, these last days in which we are now living. And he starts off very authoritatively. You, however, that's what's going out there, but you go by a different standard. You live and walk with God. Live for and walk with God. He makes a second statement, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But as for you, young Timothy, You followed me. You've done a good job up to now. But I challenge you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. That term, firmly believed, that tells me this isn't just academic knowledge anymore. This has become conviction to you. You know that you know that you know now. See, we can learn something. And it not be a conviction of ours. We can be puffed up with knowledge and not walk in wisdom. All right? So continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed. So Timothy was a man of conviction. The word of God was not something that, that, that he took lightly. It wasn't something that he was satisfied with just knowing what it says. It was something that he had a deep conviction about. This is the word of God. This is the life. This is God's word of life. And it shall govern mine. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, I don't know how long that from whom list is. Many of you, like me, I have a lot of people who have influenced my life. I have godly men and women who have played a role in me becoming the man of God that I am today. And praise God, there's been... The, the ungodly influences in my life, God has done a work there. <laughs> but, but there have been godly men and women in, in my life.
I too had a mother and a grandmother who was very influential in my life, like Timothy, like Timothy had. I don't know how long that uh, from whom list that he learned from, but I do know that it's at least three people long. His mother, his grandmother, and Paul. What you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And I will say, if you're going to let somebody have an influence on your life, don't let it just be because you like how they write or they're funny or have a good sense of humor or whatever. You better know, you better take the time to know the person that you're going to allow to have influence in your life. How do they live their life? What are they about? What are the things that drive them? Because if those are some ungodly influences, then despite their gift that I might appreciate, despite the fact that they might make me laugh or, or there may be some things that we have in common, things that, that I agree with them on, I can't let that person have the influence in my life if they're not following the same God I'm following. If they're not going in the same direction I'm going, I can't do it. If they're not after the same pursuit, they're not after the godliness that I'm after, there may be some things that I can glean from them, but I cannot. Give them significant influence in my life. And neither can you. knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What do you think he's referring to when he says the sacred writings? Anybody? Scripture. And that tells me mama and grandma wasted no time exposing him to the sacred writings. From the time he was just a little tyke, they were pouring the word of God in him. And I tell you, don't be overly gripped with fear, grandparents and parents. You have more influence than you might think. Yes, there are other you know, people are sounding the alarm about so many groups and so many people trying to... Uh, gain access to our kids and, and lead them astray and so forth and so on. That may be true, but I tell you what, if you are committed to raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on out there, right? If you're depositing the word of God into their little hearts, if, if you are training them up in righteousness, right? It, that doesn't mean that they'll be perfect, They'll make mistakes and everything, but the plumb line will be certain for them. And if you deposit enough of the gems of the word into their moral warehouse at some point, as they grow and begin to be able to make decisions as it pertains to their lives, they're going to have the word of God in their hearts to help govern them. The story of the prodigal son lets you know that there are no guarantees. We're not trying to do the impossible and make perfect kids, but we are preparing kids to be able to walk with the Lord in a world that does not honor him. To be light in a world of darkness. So there's going to be challenges along the way. Are you hearing me? There's going to be a lot of messages, and they're going to need to know the Word of God in order for them to navigate their way through the darkness. And sometimes they'll fall.
they're not going to be perfect. But scripture says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. All right. Um, which are able, and now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know what? That's the aim of Scripture, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scripture is to lead you to Christ. It isn't, it is, it isn't to make you sound smart or sound wise or sound spiritual. It's to lead you to Christ. And when you share Scripture, your objective in using Scripture is to lead someone to Christ. That's the purpose Oh, man. Hallelujah. Amen. It's a real blessing to have the Turners with us this morning. So, the Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. Well, Pastor, when that was said, the only scripture they had was Old Testament scripture. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, use a couple of uh, passages of scripture to uh, combat that. Uh, I want you to turn to First Timothy chapter five, verses seventeen and eighteen. In this passage, Paul references a verse from Luke chapter ten about muzzling the ox when it treads out the grain. But it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Those are references from Luke, which is an Old Testament, but what does, he ref what does Paul refer to it as? As the scripture says. So in doing that, he's referring to a gospel as scripture. So what was written by, the, by Luke was God breathed, and it was recognized as Paul to be so. Scripture verifies itself. Are you hearing me? Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Verses 15 and 16, we will see that Peter feels the same way, gives the same affirmation to Paul's writings. 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16 say, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks to them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So in saying that, he is also saying what Paul has written is scripture. Are you hearing me? So when Paul tells Timothy all scripture is breathed out by God, it's from Genesis to Revelation. It is all scripture. It's all been breathed out by God. Well, men wrote it. <laughs> they wrote under the inspiration of God. God authored the Bible. And when you think of all the different authors 
and all the generations over which the Bible is written, when you see the consistency of the Bible, you know it was the hand of God that wrote it. It was one author that wrote it in order for it to have that uniformity. You can't get three people to agree on what they saw in the same set of circumstances. Much less 40. Are you hearing me? So we have Paul referencing uh, a verse written by Luke as scripture. Peter referencing what Paul wrote as scripture. So these men saw what was pinned by each other as scripture. Even Peter said, some of what Paul has written, man, it's hard to understand. I don't know if I can get with that. However, I recognize the hand of God in it. What he's written is scripture. It is breathed out by God. And that's, in a nutshell, that's really what I wanted to say as far as what we believe here. God's word is breathed out by God. The Bible, not just what's in red. We don't dismiss the Old Testament in favor of the new. We don't dismiss the new in favor of the old. All of it is inspired by God. It's all God breathed. And all of it, all of it, in one way or another, is beneficial for us. There's not a verse of scripture that should be considered irrelevant to any person in this room. Not only is God's word, not only is the scripture breathed out by God, but it has no flaws. There are no errors in it. There may be some things that are confusing to you. There, you know, a careful and thorough search of scriptures, we can actually resolve perceived conflicts, but the Bible doesn't conflict with itself. We can have wrong interpretations that create unnecessary conflicts, but the Bible itself does not conflict with itself. It is God-breathed. It is without error. It is a perfect word of liberty. And that is something that is a conviction of ours. You're not going to persuade us otherwise. The, the authoritative book on what is truth is Scripture, is the Word of God. So don't let anyone bring you into doubt by saying, well, the stuff in red, I believe that, but the rest of that stuff, I don't know. I'm going to point that out. The flaw in that is even the stuff in red was written by man. How do you know he wrote it down right? If we're going to go there, let's go there. Right? Either it's all inspired by God or none of it's inspired by God. But you know, if what's in red is inspired by God, because that's what Jesus said, well, man, man inspired by God wrote it all, what's in red and what's not in red. So they were either inspired by God or they weren't. It's our conviction that they were all inspired by God. And scripture is full of a perfect God using imperfect man to accomplish his will. I believe God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think in you and through you. Do you believe that for yourself? 
And while you're thinking about that, I'm going to tell you it's true whether you believe it or not. Men from all walks of life and in different generations, God used them to pen his word. And despite the best efforts of some of the smartest minds, the most brilliant minds throughout the millennia who have tried their best to debunk the word of God, to discredit the word of God, the word of God still stands. And one day heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will last forever. Amen? And so it is unimpeachable. It's all inspired by God. It is inerrant, and it is the truth of God's word. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable. Not only is it inspired, God breathed, it is profitable. Say profitable. And let's read real quickly all the ways in which it is profitable. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. See, that's why we can't allow the word of God to be demeaned, to be undermined to us. We we're, we're going to have to stand and have a conviction about this, that the word of God is inspired by God. And that in, though humanity was involved in pinning it for us, that humanity may be flawed, but God is so big and so awesome that he can make it so that the product, though he used man, flawed man, the product itself is not flawed in the end result. And that is what he has done. See, if we question the God inspiration of the Word of God, and if we question the infallibility of the Word of God, then it's going to hinder our ability to be trained in righteousness. Because if there's doubt, then there's doubt about is it what's true and what's not true. If I'm unsettled about the word of God, then how can it have the impact it's intended to have in my heart and in my life? If it's not a settled issue that this is, in fact, the word of truth come from God himself. So there's a lot of battles to be fought out there, uh, but not a lot of those battles we shouldn't be pouring our energy into. I tell you what, if, if it's not a settled issue that the word of God is inspired by God and it is infallible, inerrant, and it is in fact the unassailable truth, then that's the battle you're going to have to overcome right there. That, that, that's your priority. That's the battle in front of you that you're going to have to get settled. Because unless that's settled, you're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be lukewarm. You're not going to be, you, you, you're not going anywhere in the things of God. It doesn't matter how many boogeymen are out there that somebody's telling you we need to watch out for. That's not your fight. Your fight, you need to settle the issue in your heart about what is truth and what isn't. God's word. Holy inspired by him and his truth. And he wants us to be taught according to his word. Sound doctrine. He wants us to be checked according to his word. I know it's no fun being checked by somebody. But there are many times in my life, although I didn't like it, I needed to be checked. And it was to my benefit, it was to my good that I got checked and I responded in the right way. Every time I didn't respond in the right way, whoo, I went off the cliff. And I had to learn the lesson the hard way. So we need to be teaching and learning 
God's word. We need to be reproving one another according to God's word. We need to accept correction according to God's word. And we need to allow ourselves to be trained in righteousness according to God's word. If we allow the word to profit us in those ways, verse 17, that or so that, or as a result of that, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It doesn't mean the man of God, and that's a unisex term, it doesn't mean the man and woman of God will be perfect. That word complete can also be referred to as mature. There's a growth that occurs, a maturity that will equip you for every good work. Isn't that a trip? Just think about that. There are people with specific callings, and some of them, you know, look better than others. Some of them we want, some of them we don't want so much in everything. But forget the specific callings. This tells me that if we commit ourselves to God, you know, if we settle the issue of God's word being God-breathed and that there is no fault in the word of God, and then we commit ourselves to really allow, uh, allowing ourselves to be held accountable to it, if we allow ourselves to be profited by the teaching and the reproof, the correction and training in the word of God, it tells us that we'll be complete and we'll be equipped for every good work. That means it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the need, the benefit of availing ourselves to God this way is God can use us in any way it's necessary in any situation. I don't have to be a prophet to give a prophetic word. I don't have to be a preacher to tell the good news. I don't have to be a teacher to teach you a truth in the word of God. Are you hearing me? You know, I don't have to be one of the wise men to give you a word of wisdom, right? I can give you an exhortation. I don't have to be your authority figure to give you some correction according to the word of God. Because we're subject to God in his word, right? So if you see me veering off the truth, then love me enough to point it out to me. And trust that God's going to deal with me according to that truth. You know, you can't make me do it. You know, don't make the mistake of trying that. You can't make me do it. But love me enough to tell me. You know who can make me do it? My Heavenly Father. He knows. He knows how to hem me in. He knows how to deal with me. He knows how to get a hold of me. But if we want to be complete, mature, equipped for every good work, well, then it starts with the word of God being the ultimate authority in our lives. It's the word of God, not a word written by men that they heard from God. No, it's the word of God. And there is not a flaw in it. So being a committed hearer and doer of God's word will make us complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I implore you, you know, I implore you uh, I won't say beg but I implore you to pour just, just to pour all the energy you have into getting into God's word it said in one of the earlier verses of Second Timothy 3 that the scriptures will make you wise until salvation in Christ Jesus. 
So if we get into the word of God, if we want to know Jesus more, we want to know God more, then guess what allows us to do that? Getting into his word more. It gives us wisdom unto salvation through Jesus Christ, but also it gives us wisdom, gives us a better able ability to understand who he is and what his heart is toward us and what he's calling us to. There is no shortcuts when it comes to this walk with the Lord. You know, there is no microwave, anything. This is, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and we're going to have to be about the work of investing ourselves, investing our lives in this relationship we have with the Lord, investing our time in the word of God. Not just for educational knowledge, but that we might become not only hearers, but doers of his word. Because we want to be complete and we want to be equipped for every good work. Because we want God to be glorified in us and through us. And I will close with Ephesians 2.10. You don't have to go there, but it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship. He is the potter. We are the clay. And through his word, in the work of the Holy Spirit, he's making us, he's, we, he's making us into something. We are his workmanship created by him to do good works. He, the, the master potter is shaping us into something. a vessel of honor fit to be used by him. He's taken the ugliness of our lives, the chips, the scars, the cracks, the damage, and he's making something beautiful out of that. But he requires us to partner with that. So there is hope for you. There is redemption available for your story. It may have been a tough start. You may have gotten a lot of chances and you may have screwed up every one of them. But today, right now, you're not here by happenstance. You're here by the will and purpose of God. And you still have breath in your body which means there's still hope for, you, for redemption of your story. Amen? And if, and if your past up to this day has had a spotty record as it pertains to God's word, let today be the day. Let today be the moment where that flips and that changes in your life. And you see the treasure that the word of God is. And you make the commitment to God today that I will no longer disregard or take lightly that which I should regard as precious. I will no longer disregard or take lightly your word, O oh God. Today is the day I fully avail myself to you. I'm going to ask you to stand.
It's the word of God that says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's the word of God that says that it will benefit us, but we've got to make the decision to be hearers and doers of that word in order for us to get the benefit that that word promises. So I'm just going to have you all just kind of close your eyes and heads bow before the Lord and just reflect. And I want you to reflect on your commitment to God, your commitment to his word and what you've allowed yourself to believe about his word was what you allowed yourself to believe, was it truth or was it a, or was it a lie? I will tell you if you've allowed yourself to believe something that someone told you that cast some doubt on the authorship of the word of God and the infallibility and inerrancy of the word of God the time is now to repent of that if God has convicted you that way it's time to repent of that and, and, and decide that you're going to Make your stand that the word of God is unimpeachable. The word of God has come from the mouth of God, from the breath of God himself, and that the word of God is truth, and in it there is no lie, in it there is no error. And there therefore is no excuse for me not to fully embrace God's word in spirit and in truth. I had people's eyes closed and heads down because this is between you and God. Nobody else needs to, needs to see, but, but it is that time now. So if you have been that person that has not that has had doubt. And God has ministered to your heart this morning. Then simply just repent and just renounce the lies that caused those doubts. And then confess to God what you've heard today. God, I believe your word your word was breathed out by you those men didn't give us your word you gave us your word through them Lord I want to be wise and your word makes me wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ Arm yourself with the knowledge of that truth. Arm yourself with purposing in your heart to make God, to make the fact that God's word is inspired by God and is inerrant a conviction of yours. where there is no wavering. And let that conviction, conviction inspire you to feast on God's word. 
that it might make you complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you're so awesome that you could do what no other person could do. Over thousands of years, you could speak to different people in different walks of life, at different education levels, different professions. And yet, you wove, the, you wove this beautiful message, scripture. Consistent, self-revelatory, unimpeachable. life-giving. Thank you so much for your word, Father God. And, and Lord, I thank you for pricking our hearts with your truth. And Lord, I trust that that people aren't leaving the same. I trust that there are people here who may have had some doubts, but those issues have been settled or at least they've committed to a course that will lead to those issues being settled. And that this place is full of people who are and will continue to be doers of your word will be so committed to being in your word, to meditating on it, to being doers of your word, that they will be, as your scripture says, complete, equipped for every good work. And I thank you for that, Lord, and may you have all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name.